Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the State of the Muni Market podcast series here on the UBS On Air Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us for the conversation today, glad to welcome back from the UBS Chief Investment Office, Senior Municipal Strategist for the Americas, Kathleen McNamara. For this month, we are also joined by Jeremy Jenkins of Breckenridge Capital Advisors. Jeremy serves as a Director for Relationship Management, and Jeremy is also a CFA charter holder. So with that, Kathleen, Jeremy, welcome to you both. Kathleen, I'll pass it over to you to lead today's conversation. Thanks so much, Dan. And um, thank you so much, Jeremy, for coming by and joining us today for a discussion on the, the U.S. municipal bond market. As we head into the end of the first quarter of 2023, the Federal Reserve has hiked short-term rates by another 25 basis points. We've witnessed a few bank failures in recent weeks, and volatility across the financial markets appears to remain elevated. That said, I'm seeing that municipal bonds are posting positive results on both a month-to-date and year-to-date basis. So, Jeremy, I think we have a lot to talk about. Why don't we get started? First question I have for you is, is um, following the most recent hike in the Fed funds rate by 25 basis points just this week, what is your outlook for rates and muni performance throughout 2023? Yeah, it's a great question, Kathleen, and so in a great place to start. Um, you know, this quarter has been so volatile from a rate standpoint that, you know, frankly, looking out the rest of the year, we, we would actually caution on having too strong conviction uh, on that rate outlook and performance. But that said, our base case is for another quarter point hike, uh, stickier terminal rate than what the market is currently pricing in, uh, and a treasury curve that remains inverted. In muni specifically, you know, there's likely to be a bit of a tailwind from technicals. Uh, and we're seeing that, you know, play out a, a bit here year to date. You know, currently, uh, as you referenced, you know, performance is up and looking at kind of our world, which is more so like intermediate investment grade, that's about one and a half percent total return year to date. Uh, and that's mostly from March. You know, if you look at January, we were up two percent, but then February, we were down two percent in the intermediate space. Um, you know, like I said, a volatile quarter. Uh, but more importantly, uh, these market swings in a higher rate environment, you know, we feel is ideal for an active bond manager to, to find value along the curve or within sectors or credit, uh, and possibly even doing some tax loss harvesting when rates back up. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. The, uh, the volatility actually ends up providing a portfolio manager like yourself uh, some more opportunities to, to find value. Um, let's let's move on to. I mean, certainly, you know, we've we've witnessed a few regional bank collapses earlier this month. That's you know grabbed a lot of attention from everybody, overshadowing almost everything else that we were focusing on. Um, mm-hmm. That said, at this stage, munis appear to be benefiting from the flight to quality that we saw in U.S. Treasury securities. Mm-hmm. Yet, on the other side of that, I don't know if you've received this question, but we have received. Um, an inquiry about a potential risk to the muni market um, amidst all of this stress in the banking industry. So what I'd like to ask you is, do you think that the current stress in the banking industry will prompt some regional banks to start liquidating their muni holdings? And if so, what would the impact on the muni market be? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And, you know, coming into this year, you know, would we think we'd be having questions about regional banks' impact on the municipal market. I don't think <laughs> right. that at any one you know, top of mind yeah. at the beginning of the year. Right, it wasn't, but, it wasn't uh, in our outlook 2023. Uh, yeah, I don't think it was in anyone's outlook. 
But uh, yeah, you know, it's, it is a, an important question right now. But you know, when you look at it, you know, the impact to munis is largely indirect. That's based on the likelihood of possibly slower economic growth or a recession. Uh, but beyond that, you know, the SVB banking crisis, or I guess maybe broader now, regional banking crisis with some other banks there, um, doesn't directly impact munis. Um, although regions with heightened exposure to credit-sensitive growth sectors like tech or PE, biotech, you know, might be more negatively impacted um, from a credit standpoint, so worth paying attention to there. The other things uh, worth mentioning, one would be, you know, we saw recently some gas prepay uh, bonds fell off recently in the past few weeks. Uh, we don't buy those bonds, but that's you know, uh, a particular sector that, you know, most are backed by bank ratings. Um, and then there's another part of the market, a very small part of the variable rate market, um, putable VRDNs uh, that are also backed by bank ratings. So there's a couple pockets there that are that are worth paying attention to. But as you alluded to, you know, something that we're thinking about from a broader impact is, you know, do banks step back? Uh, do we see that impact liquidity? Um, we're not seeing that yet. But it continues to you know, be top of mind and, and something we're monitoring. Um, you know, it, it could present opportunities. You know, demand has been, you know, pretty steady as of late. Um, you know, banks do make up, uh, you know, uh, not insignificant amount of, of buyers. So it's, you know, to the extent they were to step back, it could, you know, provide some opportunities um, for better entry points uh, since demand has been relatively strong. So time will tell. But you know, as of right now, no direct impact. Okay, yeah. Thanks. Thanks very much for that for that insight. So uh, time will tell, <laughs> and we'll leave it at we'll leave it at that. Um, now let's move on to talk more broadly about portfolio strategy. Uh, within your portfolios now, are you favoring duration or credit? Yeah, you know that, that's a great one. So you know, looking at our perspective at the beginning of the year, just a few months ago, you know, we entered the year thinking, uh, you know. Duration-wise, we want to be a little bit short relative to benchmark, uh, but we've recently uh, extended duration, um, and much of that was driven by yield curve opportunity, specifically the 10 to 15-year part of the curve um, looking particularly attractive, so extending out duration there to get a little bit more exposure in that part of the curve. Uh, heading into the year from a credit standpoint, uh, we were, I mean, relative to our internal benchmark, overweight A's. But, you know, still from an average standpoint, above double A average, uh, which is where we tend to be. So from a credit perspective, not really, you know, super overweight, uh, you know, A credits or, or going down the credit scale. Um, but there's been, you know, obviously rate volatility that we just spoke of. And, you know, that at time has put some pressure on spreads, but it's ebbed and flowed. So I wouldn't suggest that we're going, uh, you know, too far down the credit scale right now, particularly with the outlook for, you know, potential downturn increasing, um, you know, we'd be maybe a little bit more cautious there. But, you know, just pick your spots. Uh, you know, there are going to be some sectors that are going to be more impacted by a downturn. So just keeping that top of mind and, and having relative value and spread uh, kind of, you know, be a driver of those decisions along with the fundamentals. Sure, Jeremy. Yeah, that's pretty consistent with what uh, us and uh, the CIO group have been uh, thinking about. Uh, we've been encouraging investors to, you know, not shy away from going a little bit further out on the muni curve, you know, out to that right beyond that 10-year mark in munis, as you mentioned. Um, there is some value out there and staying up in credit quality as well. Now, speaking about credit, um, 
you know, just a little bit further, like within munis there, as you know, there's a wide variety of individual sectors that, that investors can choose from. Are there any sectors that you now favor? And, and by contrast, are there any segments of the muni market you are now avoiding? We tend to favor the deepest segments of the investment-grade muni market, city, counties, school districts, along with the central service bonds. And we tend to avoid private activity, prepaid gas, nursing home financing, you know, many of which do fall outside, you know, our investment grade wheelhouse. Um, and so that's, that doesn't change that often. You know, we, we like to be in those more resilient parts of the market. Um, but, you know, to the extent there's opportunities in hospitals or, or housing or private university, we, we, we are selective there, but they do tend to be a lower part of the, the overall, uh, exposure. Uh, but those are kind of areas that can offer more spread at times. Uh, but the fundamentals really matter, and, and certainly the relative value on those names matter quite a bit. Right. Yeah. So I agree. Uh, we we uh, we're a little cautious on uh, housing, hospital, and private he- private higher ed as well. But as you point out, um, you know, as a portfolio manager, you can still find some pockets of value in those sectors. Moving on, let's let's talk about the yield curve. I mean, I know we've been talking about this for a while now, the, uh, the inverted U.S. Treasury yield curve. Uh, but it does remain a focus for fixed income investors, including muni investors. And as a result of the inversion, um, I'm sure you're seeing a lot of this as well, uh, many of our clients are choosing to position in cash and short-dated bonds, you know, rather than going out on the curve. So, I mean, against that backdrop, like, what are you um, telling clients that only want to stay in, in short date, the shortest dated bonds or cash? We're also hearing that from some clients, uh, in many cases, you know, rolling T-bills until the curve normalizes. You know, that's some of the feedback we're hearing. Um, mm-hmm. And, in fact, looking at some ETF flow data, which can be useful, you know, the largest outflow year to date is in short muni strategies, whereas the largest inflow is in BIL, which is the Spider T-Bill ETF. Um, you know, just looking at that today, found that interesting. Um, although, you know, the problem there or, or challenge is the reinvestment risk aspect, which involves, you know, getting the timing right, especially if we're talking about a part of capital that's normally part of the asset allocation for market duration exposure. You know, locking in an intermediate duration at today's yields you know, I think may, in retrospect, look like a great trade in a year or so, uh, whereas the reinvestment risk to rolling T-bills might become more apparent, you know, given the yields are locked in for such a short period of time. So, you know, th- th- those are some of the things on our mind. All that said, the muni curve, you know, right now in terms of the best spot is, is further out. I-, I alluded to that briefly in terms of the slight extension we made at the 10 to 15-year part of the curve. But it, it, it's relatively steep. You know, 10 to 15 year triple A right now is about 62 basis points. Compare that to the 2 to 10, uh, which is negative 13 basis points, mm-hmm. is a pretty big difference in, you know, the, the shape of the curve right now. And, and so, you know, there, there is value uh, in the intermediate curve. It's just a little bit further out right now in that 10 to 15 year spot. Right, right, Jeremy. That's a good reminder um, for our listeners that although the uh, Treasury curve is is inverted, um, the muni curve um, actually does have a positive slope, and there is some value um, out on the curve right past that ten-year spot. And and your point about reinvestment risk, I think uh, that's something that we can't stress enough. Right? Um, mm-hmm. People feel that they're not really placing a bet on the market um, by staying short, but yet you are exposing yourself to that 
huge reinvestment risk going forward. Right. Yeah, so I think that that was a good explanation. Uh, moving on, um, let's talk a little bit about um, state preferences, like within muni bond portfolios. Are you seeing any better opportunities um, in in-state bonds versus out-of-state bonds for some of those state-specific mandates that you have? You know, one of the consequences of higher rates in the market is the impact on the relative value for, for in-state bonds for residents of states that have uh, high state income tax. Uh, rate, you know, and, and, you know, higher, you know, with higher rates and higher taxes, you know, that makes the in-state bond generally more attractive. You know, a quick example, if you look at, you know, a year ago, you know, let's use California, for example, you know, if you looked at a 10-year California bond, you know, might be close to 1% at a state income tax rate at 13%, your hurdle rate for going and buying an out-of-state bond was, you know, about 13 basis points, that 1% times 13 you look at today, you know, that 10-year bond is probably closer to 3%. So that 3% times that same 13% state income tax rate, that math gets you 40 basis points. So the difference there, or the hurdle rate in basis points for going out of state, in this example, and for many states, is much higher than it was before. Because uh, that math applies to other states like New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, uh, where Massachusetts, in fact, you know, their top rate went up from 5 to 9%. You know, so with Breckenridge, mm-hmm. yeah, at Breckenridge, you know, you know, we're big proponents of state preference portfolios, and one reason we dedicate so many resources to credit research is to cover a broad, diverse range of names throughout many states, so that we can get you know high levels of in-state exposure for clients in those high-tech states like Cal, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and many others. You know, over state. Uh, over 30 state preference options in total. So um, we think it's, it's quite important, particularly now that interest rates are much higher and taxes for a fair amount of states are relatively high. That's a really good point, that the, uh, the value of uh, buying in-state bonds for these um, individuals that reside in, in very high-tax states, such as New York and California, is now more attractive than it was just a year ago. We, we did put out a report just like two weeks ago on um, the relative value in New York for New York residents. So it, it's, it aligns very nicely with what you just talked about. Um, moving on, let's, let's talk a little bit about supply. I mean, uh, the pace mm-hmm. of new issuance has been a little bit of a disappointment this year. Um, I was looking to see, you know, where we, where we stand right now as we're getting towards the end of this first quarter. And it looks like new issue supply is down by over 20% from the levels that we saw just a year ago. So that said, do you see any reason for it to accelerate as the year progresses? Uh, the short answer is likely not. Um, you know, as you mentioned, start of the year, not great. Both January and February were the lowest monthly totals in five years. You know, looking at the beginning of the year, street estimates were actually pretty broad uh, in terms of the estimate range. It was anywhere from $350 billion to $500 billion. Um, you know, if we had to place a bet, probably on towards the shorter end of that range in terms of where we end up. Um, you know, munis are one of the few fixed income markets that really haven't grown over the past five, ten years. So lack of supply has been a challenge for a while. Uh, and today, issuers face higher interest rates. Uh, and assuming the economy slows down, issuers are, you know, more likely to fund capital needs, one-time capital needs from built-up reserves or maybe even access funds via the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, and then there's also the matter of tax exempt refundings that are prohibited uh, ever since the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017. So you, know, you put all that together, it's 
likely an environment of tight primary issuance. You know, and from our perspective, you know, we have large coverage of credits, strong proprietary trading systems that allow us to navigate the secondary market efficiently. And as a result, we're definitely seeing more of our purchases on the secondary market side than the primary side, you know, which primary side can be light as we're, as we're talking about, but even, you know, some weeks where it might be decent, it, it could just be tightly priced due to oversubscription. So, uh, I think now more than ever, toggling over to the secondary market is quite important. Yeah, it makes sense that you have to uh, look in the secondary market for, for your opportunities. Um, so, so let's uh, let's talk about um, let's kind of like put this all together. Now, we talked about a, a lot of different topics here, but I, I just pull out a few. Um, we talked about the rebound in Muni performance since 2022, as well as the income opportunities that are now available in the Muni space beyond that 10-year maturity spot. And also, as you point out, the value of uh, in-state bonds for individuals that reside in high-tax states such as California and New York, as well as Massachusetts. I had forgotten that Massachusetts had mm-hmm. recently increased their their uh, state tax rates, so I'm guessing that you're getting more um, increase from Massachusetts-based res- residents for munis. <laughs> Is that right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I sure would think so. So, um Based on all of that, um, what are some of the final thoughts or takeaways you have for municipal investors as we close in on this first quarter of 2023? Yeah, I mean, just some quick thoughts. You know, from from an opportunity standpoint, you know, it's still you know much better environment than we've been in in a long time. You know, the mm-hmm. yields on offer for high quality bonds are are pretty attractive, and uh, you know, the credit environment is. Pretty stable, although you know the outlook. You know, there, there's some concerns. Obviously, if we hit a recession, and so you have to be cognizant of that and, and be prepared for that. But you know, generally speaking, you know, it's probably a better time to put uh, money to work in munis than it has been in a long time. Um, but you have to pay attention to where relative value is for munis. You know, it, they've been expensive over the past few years at times, and so. Possibly looking at crossing over buying treasuries or taxable munis if tax exempts get expensive. Um, you got to be paying attention to that. Um, but you know, generally speaking, uh, I would say you know, the, the value for munis uh, for, in a broad context is, is pretty good. Um, you know, for an intermediate high quality portfolio, you're probably looking at 270, maybe 280, somewhere in that range. And, and on a tax equivalent basis, that's you know upwards of probably close to five percent. And you know. We haven't seen those numbers in a long time. So uh, from that standpoint, it's, it's probably a good time. Yeah, yeah. And we certainly haven't seen uh, 5% on the taxable equivalent yield in quite some time. And and you are talking about high-grade unis as well, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I think, yeah, let's end there on, on that key point, uh, pretty much that, that now is a good time to be putting money to work in the municipal bond market, probably a better point than uh, we've seen in quite some time. So let's end there. Uh, thank you so much, Jeremy, uh, for, for stopping in and uh, joining us today. We've had Jeremy Jenkins from Breckenridge Capital Advisors with us. Um, we greatly appreciate your insights on the municipal bond market.
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and is published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.